This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. You know, we've just started teaching a series of lessons on the moving of the Spirit. We taught our first lesson Sunday before last, and, but because of Easter Sunday, I just felt I wanted to kind of veer off of that. We'll get back to that next time, but I do want to touch on the resurrection some this morning and share with you some things that the Lord gave me this week that I thought was very interesting, and I just wanted to uh, give this lesson to you today. And I entitled it, Christ Has Done More Than Enough. When you think about, we, we kind of know the story of the, of the crucifixion and the resurrection, but do we ever stop and think how much Christ actually did for us? We know he died on the cross for us. We know he rose again. But there's just so much in that whole story that Christ did for us that we need to step back and just thank him every day for the things that were accomplished at this particular time. And all of it was done for you and for me. And so I want to look at that. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 15, we'll get to that in just a minute. <clears throat> but... Thinking about that, Christ has done more than enough. You know, at any point in that whole Passion Week, Christ could have stopped. He could have said, wait a minute, that's, this is enough. This, this, I'm not going, going through no more. I'm not going to carry this out to the end. I'm not going to not do all of this that I'm supposed to do. But he didn't do that. You know, when we look at this history behind Easter, and we see the purpose of it. I'm afraid today it's almost a forgotten story for a lot of people. In fact, a lot of people in the world don't even know the Easter story. Truth be known. But just think with me for a minute. What if we had, say, an alien come from, from another planet? And they came down to this earth, and they begin to observe Easter Sunday the whole week. They begin to observe the things that people did for Easter. You know, what, what would they think? What would they come up with as far as this holiday? Would they say, well, I understand what Easter is about now. It's all about bunnies and eggs and chocolate and, and all of that, you know? And I, I'm afraid that that's what they would see for the majority of the world around us. But, and, and I want you to understand, I'm not against the Easter Bunny. I'm not against the eggs. I'm not against kids having fun, doing fun things. We had a big activity last Sunday for the kids after church. And I loved seeing the, the joy and the smiles on their faces. They had such a great time. They were just so excited. But I know that most, almost all of those kids, if they were in Sunday school, that they heard the Easter story before they got out there and looked at Easter eggs. They, they knew what Easter was all about. So I don't believe in aliens this morning, but I'm just trying to use that to make a point that there's a growing need, I think, for people in this world to have a biblical knowledge of what Easter and the resurrection is all about. So this morning I want to, to talk to you about some of the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection and why they are so important. 
and what they mean to you and me and what they mean right here, right now, today. What do they mean? So I, I'm going to read starting. I'm going to pick up at verse number 33 of Mark chapter 15. They'll get these up on the board, on the screen. And we're going to read through this, and I'm not going to have time to go through. I could stop with so many things and talk about the, a lot of the things in, the, in this story today. But I want to get to certain points that, that they're really the Lord showed me and really stuck out in, in my mind, and I, and I pray that it will mean a lot to you today. And it's very important that you realize this very first verse here, verse number 33 of Mark chapter 15. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that, that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he calleth for Elias. One ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. you got to remember the, these, these events that are taking place, that's exactly how it happened. When Jesus cried, when he said it's finished, when he gave up the ghost, when it was over on the cross, then right immediately the veil was rent. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw, he so cried out, gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and Joseph and Salome who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now when the evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited, on, waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus." Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And when he brought fine linen, he took him down, wrapped him in linen, laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. Now I want you to notice this as we look into the, uh, Mark 16. We'll, be, we'll read just a few verses in that. Mark 16 and verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they may come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in long white garment, and they were frightened. 
And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, and ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell the disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. So all of these events that are taking place are happening right here in Jerusalem. The tomb, of course, was right outside of the gates of Jerusalem. But this is the, some of the important things about this story here. All of it took place actually during a time where it was a festival. It was a holiday. It took place during the Passover. And that was the week-long holiday that celebrated Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Now, I always had in my mind the crowd that was there when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. I have in my mind the crowd that was there when he hung on the cross. I have in my mind the crowd that hollowed out when he was being uh, tried before Pilate. But that crowd was very small in comparison to how many people were in Jerusalem at the time. And it's amazing to think, I always thought, well, everybody knew what was going on, but that's not the case. I mean, there was no news reporter, Channel 6 with the microphone, saying, hey, we, we've got Jesus over here. There, there was no cell phones to say, hey, you know, you need to come over here and check this out. There was no social media to put it all on so everybody could read about it. None of, a lot of people didn't even know what was going on. Historians tell us the population of Jerusalem at that time was about 200,000. But when they say when all the people that came from everywhere for the Passover, there was almost 2.7 million people in that area. Now, we don't know for sure how many people were in the city. I'm sure it was a lot, though, when you take that, those numbers and put them together. But probably... The thing is, many of the people there, they were just there for the Passover celebration, just like always. Nothing out of the ordinary, nothing different. And that's the backdrop for Passion Week. So I'm going to kind of hurry through it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with a, a lot of details, just certain things that I want to bring out. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. And we celebrated Jesus coming in on the donkey, riding in, people laying down palm leaves, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus comes into the city, he's riding, he causes quite a stir, but you got to remember, most of the people weren't there. There was people there, but of the majority of the people, they, they didn't know what was going on. It's kind of like in our city today. There could be a parade going on big parade going over here in some part of the city. Well, a lot of the city don't even have, know what's going on. They're not over there. A lot, a lot are, a lot not. So that's kind of the, the thing here. So look at this with me. Jesus rides through there. You remember the story. He, he, he of course, uh, goes into the temple and he 
looks at what's going on in the temple and he chases the money changers out of the temple. You remember that? And as many times as I read that and thought about that, and let's look at it in John chapter 2 and verse number 14. He found in the temple, this is what he came upon in the scene in the temple, those that sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and money, and the changers of money sitting there in the temple. So what's happening? People are selling animals for what? Sacrifice. They're changing money because they had to have a certain kind of money for the temple tax. So Jesus gets very upset. This is what I always got out of it before, and it's it's true part of it. He made a scourge of small cords, and he drove them out of the temple. He drove the sheep, the oxen, he poured over the money changers, and he overthrew the tables. Verse 15 tells us that. Verse 16, And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And that, I get everything that that we see in that, because this was the court of the Gentiles. It was within the temple walls. They're selling oxen. They're selling sheep. They're selling doves. They were for sacrifices. The priests have a monopoly on the money changing of the temple. And so all of these things are going on. And Jesus looks about it and says, I don't like it. I don't like all this going on in here in the temple. Those Jews paid a half a shekel annually to support the temple. The Gentile money was the coin and the usual circulation, and it was refused in the temple. So they had to change that money, and that's what they did. All of these people having money changes here, the priest, it said that they would make about $300,000 a year just over this changing of the money. Very profitable to them. So I get all of that, but this is what I had never seen and never thought about, what God showed me just this week. And I think it's really neat to see what is actually taking place along with everything. Now, what most people get hung up on is Jesus getting mad. Well, gee, I just can't believe Jesus got angry. I mean, I didn't think Jesus was that type of person. He would get angry. Well, the Bible says be angry and what? Sin not. So there is a way that we can be angry at the devil and angry at things that are going on in the world and still have a Christian testimony. Make sure you don't mess that up while you're angry. (laughs) But this is the thing. Jesus, and I I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I get past that, Jesus being angry. But think about this. Let's go all the way back to the Old Testament to when sacrifices were needed. How many animal sacrifices had to be done over and over and over and over again all the way through the Old Testament? And look what I, the Lord showed me right here. This is like Jesus saying, guess what? No more animal sacrifices in just a little while because I'm going to hang on a cross. I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice and you won't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Had you ever thought about that before and seen that? Jesus driving all the animals out and those that are selling those for sacrifice, it's almost like he's saying, guess what? You better be be looking ahead because in just a little while, you won't have to do sacrifices anymore. And I thought that was so neat it was to me to see 
how Jesus is getting this story across and this point across to people. So we, we think about the events of Passion Week. He leaves the city. He comes back. He curses the fig tree. He, his disciples prepare for Passover. They celebrate Passover. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Judas goes out and betrays Him. Jesus gets arrested. He's tried. He's taken to the cross. He's crucified. And while all of these history-changing events are taking place, keep in mind the majority of the people that are in Jerusalem and about don't even know any of that is going on. have no idea. Even when Jesus was being whipped by the Roman soldiers, nailed to the cross, most people in there had no idea that this was taking place. Even the Roman soldiers, for them, it was just another crucifixion. It was their job. They knew, they knew what to do. For the people who walked by, some saw it. Some saw what had happened. They walked by. The Bible says they mocked Him as He hung on the cross. Jesus wasn't anything special to them. But then, this is another great thing that I want you to see, and it was the very first verse that I read in Mark chapter 15. Something miraculous happened. Something took place that had not normally ever ha happened. People were doing what they normally did. They were going about their normal business. And all of a sudden, the Bible says in Mark 15.33, the sixth hour was come when there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. It's not just a few minutes, but in the middle of daylight, all of a sudden, darkness from noon to three o'clock. What do you think that did to that crowd of people? They stopped doing what they were doing. They came to a halt and thought, what in the world is going on? I don't understand. You know, it's, to put it in perspective today, it's just like when we had our... Easter festival with our children out there after the church. They're out there searching for eggs. Some people are eating. Some people are visiting. Some people are having fun, doing all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, intense darkness comes over the whole area. What would that do? Well, You'd find kids that were crying for their moms. You'd find people that would become nervous, people grab their phones out trying to figure out what in the world is going on, searching the internet. There's darkness all of a sudden. So when darkness came upon the land, I can imagine that everything just kind of stopped in Jerusalem. And that has very significant reasons we need to look at. First of all, prophecy was being fulfilled. Oh, you mean, you mean to tell me the Bible tells us that that darkness way over here in Mark, way back there years and years ago was prophesied that that would take place? Sure was. It reminds me today when Jesus steps out on those clouds and calls us home in the rapture. People are not going to be suspecting that, are they? Panic is going to happen all over this earth when Christians are snatched up out of here. You can imagine, they're going about their daily business, doing everything they normally do, then all of a sudden, 
Where's everybody at? Where's all these people at I know? And it's going to bring shock to them. The same thing happened here. But in Amos chapter 8, God gives Amos a, ver- a vision and he tells the prophet that there's going to come a day when he is done with Israel. He says, the end has come up before my people and I will never again pass by them in Amos 8 and verse number 2. But look at verse 8 and, and, and verse 9 and 10. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon and I will darken the earth in the clear day. In verse 10, and I will turn your feast in the morning your songs and the lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth upon your loins and baldness upon every head, and I will make it as mourning of an only son and the end thereof of a bitter day. How about that prophecy way back there in Amos that said this would take place when Jesus was hanging on the cross. So you can only imagine what's happened here. This darkness has fallen on the land at noon and has stayed till three o'clock. Why, why did that happen to begin with? You know, not only I think God was getting people's attention, but something that we need to start to realize here is God is mourning for His only begotten Son. Remember this, it's the Passover. The Passover, you all know it, was when people of the Israel was delivered from Egypt. Now how were they delivered? They were delivered when they followed instructions. And the instructions was, take a lamb without spot, without blemish, and sacrifice it to God. Now wait just a minute. What's happening on the cross? Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus had no sin. So He's without spot. He's without blemish. But He's taking on the sins of the world and He's being the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. Now what happened back there in the Passover? They take that lamb without spot, without blemish. They kill it. They get the blood, and they would have to be applied to the doorpost. It would have to be applied up above and on each side. Jesus' blood was applied to the cross when He laid on it. That blood flowing, that precious blood flowing down that cross for you and for me. That was that sacrifice. So now, Here comes darkness over all of Egypt. You remember? When the angel of death would pass by. Darkness. Here we are with the darkness again in the middle of the day. So in Jerusalem, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ being the sacrifice for our sins, the darkness representing the sins of the world are being laid upon the sinless Son of God. I think that's why we see the words of Jesus that cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it's the most amazing, astonishing thing when you think about it. Every time I think about those words and what Jesus cried out, 
he, he not only endured all that pain, all that suffering, all that humiliation from people, but he had to also realize that God could not look upon sin and God would forsake him. And you can imagine what it did to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This Jesus laying on a cross with our sins upon Him and being forsaken by God. And think about time and time again, each and every day, people sin. And those sins have been paid for on the cross. That's what sin is really all about when you think about it. It's forsaking God. It's forsaking His Word. It's forsaking His ways. Whenever we sin, we can always trace it back to some way we have let God down. We didn't follow through with His Word. We didn't follow through with His ways. We, we forsook what He was trying to do in our life and did it our own thing. So sin, in essence, is saying, God, I know that You say that I should be doing this, but I want to do this instead today. It's, it's like saying, God, I know that You alone are worthy of worship and devotion, but I'm going to worship something else today instead. How does that make the Lord feel when we do that? Sin is a rejection. It's a forsaking of God. It's a rejection, disbelieving His Word. So think about it this way. And I know this is a rough illustration. But how many of us would take a loaded gun and point it to our heads and pull the trigger? Well, if we're, it's, a, it's sad to say that does happen today. People do that. But if we're in our right mind, we're not going to want to do that. But what if someone was standing right next to you where you picked up that gun and they were whispering in your ear, go ahead, that's all right. You just go ahead and do it. You won't even be hurt. And we would say, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I will. You know, Satan loves to whisper stuff in our minds and our ears. And that's what he does with people today. Go ahead and do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. It's, you, it, it, it isn't going to amount to anything. But yet God's Word says what? The wages of sin is death. And he also says the soul that sinneth shall surely die. So people will reject that. They'll go ahead with their sin. They, they don't believe God's Word today. And instead of that, they believe a lie. And the Bible even says that. In the last day, people would rather believe a lie than believe the truth. So we have our work cut out for us as Christians, but we can't stop and say, well, you know, the Lord didn't do this. The Lord, no, he, He's done more than enough. And he says it's our turn to take what he's done and let people know that there is hope, there is an answer. So, because of his love for us, I can only imagine this thing of God having to forsake his only begotten son so that those who have forsaken him can be forgiven and redeemed. You remember what Jesus said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.
Wow. How many times could we step back when somebody does us wrong and say, Father, you, you forgive them. They, they don't mean what they're doing to me. You just forgive them. You keep loving them. You keep trying to help them. Instead, we're more like, well, I hope they get what they deserve. <laughs> I'm glad Jesus didn't do that. Amen? But He died for us on the cross and showed His love for us. So all of those sins, all of our forsaking God and rejecting God, rebelling against God, each and every sin is laid upon Jesus. And God the Father in His holiness, by His very nature being, He cannot be around sin. And Jesus, who has became sin for us, he knew no sin, but He became sin for us, is forsaken. So no wonder He cries out in anguish. No wonder He cries out in agony, my God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Because you've got to imagine, Jesus has never felt this way before. This is nothing that He's ever felt forsaken before. He's never been separated from His Father before. But He does it so that we can be forgiven. I'd say Christ has done more than enough. Amen? More than enough. Now, some people may ask, well, how do we know that Jesus accomplished what He came here to do? How do we know He finished His mission? How do we know that His death on the cross made it so that God can forgive us so that we can be saved and justified before God? Have you ever wondered that? I guarantee you there's a lot of people in the world when you try to talk to them about Jesus, that's what they wonder in their minds. Well, I know what you're saying, but are you sure that Christ did that on the cross? I mean, are you sure that if I ask forgiveness of my sins, He will forgive me of my sins? I mean, I've done some pretty terrible things. Are, are you sure that that is actually true? Well, the great thing about the Word of God is that it gives us some proofs in there that we know God saw it, God heard it, and God said, this is good. This is what he was meant to do. So the, the, the proofs that I want to talk about for a little while this morning on the lesson is what happened while he hung on the cross. The first one is he gave us right after Jesus died, and that is in back in verse number 38. And look at Mark chapter 15. They can get that back up there again and look at verse number 38. It happened right after Jesus cried with a loud voice. And that cry is important because verse 37 says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. What does that mean? He finished breathing. It was over. It was done. It is finished. And that word finished covers a whole vast of things that took place. 
It covers that great thing that the Lord showed me this week about the animal sacrifice. It's finished. You don't have to go out here. Ain't you glad we ain't got to bring an animal in here, sacrifice it? I can only imagine how tiring that got for those people to over and over and over again sacrifice animals. It was the only way. But now that Jesus gave up the ghost, so here's the, here's the proof that, that what took place. Verse 38, And the veil of the temple from top to bottom. I can walk up to something and tear it, but I'm going to be grabbing it right at the bottom and begin to tear it all the way to the top. I'm not going to walk up and try to jump up and get a ladder and climb up and start tearing something. That would be foolish. That shows God is the one that did the tearing. He did it from top to bottom. Now that veil, and Brother Danny's taught on that veil in the past, brought us a very good thing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about it, but it is very important for us to realize that veil in the temple, there were several curtains, but there was only one big, thick, heavy curtain in particular that separated the rest of the temple from uh, the Holy of Holies. And in that temple, the Holy of Holies represented access to God. If you could get past that veil, you were in the Holy of Holies. But not everybody could just do that. Only the high priest could be in there. So you think back to the Garden of Eden. Man had access to God. He had communion with God. He had unblocked, unlimited access to God. Then all of a sudden, because of sin, what took place? Sin, God placed an angel in the garden and kept them out of there from now on with a flaming sword. And man had been separated from God. So that's what that curtain represents here. It was separation. So what's God saying? Jesus said, it is finished. And bam, that curtain is Mighty curtain is torn from top to bottom saying what? Come on in. You don't have to be separated anymore. What a proof to us that yes, exactly what Jesus did took place and it happened. Sin separated us from God. But now our sins have been laid on Jesus. He's paid the price for them. God gave Himself, tore the curtain, and shows us we have access to Him. Someone might say, well, hey, I still see side effects of sin in the world today. I still see man separated from God today. True. You look around. I mean, everyone here might be wearing some nice clothes today. They came on Easter Sunday. We came to worship the Lord today. But there are more than a billion people in the world that live on $3 a day today. People are starving. People on the verge of war. We're dealing with Russia and Ukraine. All that's going on. People are not happy for the majority. They're miserable. They're missing it. You see, God tore that curtain. 
and said, the way is open, come on in, have access. The way back to him made open, made available through Christ. People trying to get that satisfaction through education, wealth, power, authority, drugs, alcohol, you name it, sports, anything they can grab hold to to bring them satisfaction. But it won't, only Jesus can bring that. So the curtain is torn and tells us away. The, the other proof is given us is what we call the empty tomb. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays it out for us and he tells us that the resurrection is the proof, the evidence that all the claims made by Jesus. You think about it. Jesus claimed he could heal the sick, forgive sins. He was the son of God. He, he's going to overcome death. And every claim that Jesus said, he did and proved it. I feel like this, if he wasn't who he said he was, if he couldn't do those things, then why would, you, why would God raise him from the dead to begin with? He'd still be in the tomb. But the resurrection of our Lord and Savior shows us that we are lost in our sins, but we can be restored. It shows us we can have eternal life. So because of the resurrection, we who belong to Christ we don't have to mourn like those who have no hope. Aren't you thankful for that? We have hope in Christ Jesus because of what He did. Not only on Calvary, but Easter Sunday morning, what He did in the tomb. He came out. I'm glad I don't serve a dead Savior. I serve a living, risen Savior. You remember what the, the, uh, the women said when they got there? They brought that sweet spices. They, they came to anoint the body. They, they didn't really come expecting that Jesus would be out of the tomb. They, they came to anoint very early in the morning. And in fact, they said, well, when we get there, how are we going to get that stone out of the way? How are we going to get in there and do what we want to do anyway? Maybe they're hoping that the gardener or somebody might be around to help roll that stone out the way. But when they got there, the stone was already rolled away. And they entered into the sepulcher and they saw the young man sitting at the right side. That's not Jesus sitting at the right side. That's an angel clothed in long white raiment. And they were very frightened. I would be too. He said to them, Be not afraid, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. Yeah, he died. But he's risen, he's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And then they said, Go your way, tell the disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall what? See him. You're going to see him. As he said unto you, Jesus had told them that. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they were trembled and were afraid, neither said they anything to any man for they were afraid. And then we find in verse 9, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And he went on to appear to many more, over 500 at one time. When I think about the Easter story, I have to step back and say, Christ 
did more than enough. More than enough. Why did he do it? It was God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And Jesus so loved us that he died for us and became the ultimate sacrifice. I'm so thankful my Redeemer lives today. And he not only lives, but he lives within my heart. He lives within your heart. And he wants to live in everyone's heart. Let's pray that this Easter, people's eyes will be open to the true story, what really happened, what really took place, and who Jesus really is. And we have a story to tell over and over again, not just at Easter time, but all year long. Christ has done more than enough for you and for me. He died for the world. You see, it wasn't just for certain people. It wasn't just for those in Jerusalem that day. It wasn't just for those, that huge crowd that didn't even know what was going on. But it's all the way down today to you and me. I'm thankful for the resurrection. Amen. Amen. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.